If you have your Bible with you, I want to invite you to turn with me this morning to Matthew chapter 13. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 13. This will uh, be the shortest of our sessions just due to the constraints with worship coming at 10.30 this morning. Matthew chapter 13. Let me pray for us. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you again for the joy that we've had uh, these past few days in fellowshipping together in Christ and sitting under the Word. We thank you for the Lord's Day, the day, Lord, of rest, a day of worship, a day of anticipating glory. Thank you for giving this to us in your providence. Thank you for allowing us to live in a nation that permits us to publicly gather. Lord, we know that to whom much is given, much will be required. So, Lord, grant us grace, Lord, to bear fruit from this time. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. I want to read um, about the parable of the sower uh, this morning. Uh, We've been, uh, for those of you joining us, talking about the kingdom of God over the past few days Now I want to talk pastorally to you about the parable of the sower and to help us understand, maybe even warn us, admonish us about being careful in the kingdom. So let's look at verse 1, chapter 13, Matthew 13, verse 1. That day Jesus went out of the house and was sitting by the sea. Large crowds gathered to him, so he got into a boat and sat down, and the whole crowd was standing on the beach. And he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, the sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell beside the road, and the birds came and ate them up. Others fell on the rocky places, where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up because they had no depth of soil. But when the sun had risen, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. Others fell among the thorns, and the thorns came up and choked them out. And others fell on the good soil and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. And then if you'll jump down to verse 18 with me, same chapter. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is the one on whom the seed was sown beside the road. The one on whom seed was sown on the rocky places, this is the man who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no firm root in himself, but is only temporary. And when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he falls away. And the one on whom the seed was sown among the thorns, this is the man who hears the word, and the worry 
of the world and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. And the one on whom the seed was sown on the good soil, this is the man who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and brings forth some a hundredfold, some 60 and some 30. I began to develop an interest in the Lord Jesus Christ in uh, the spring of my sophomore year in college. I had some social disappointments, you would say. My freshman year, a lot of my friends joined a fraternity, but I never got a bid uh, for that. And I look back on that as maybe some kind of um, preparation for what the Lord was going to do a couple semesters later in my life. Of course, today I wouldn't trade places with any of those friends who did get bids, uh, given what God did do in my life. But when the Lord began to work in my life and I became a Christian and I got involved in the campus uh, ministry of InterVarsity Christian Fellowship and I met a new crop of friends who had been Christians, some of whom had grown up as Christians in their own home. But as a few years later went by after we'd finished college, I was beginning to learn an important biblical lesson about the kingdom, and it was very personal to me because I was struggling to understand what it was that, in some sense, we had in those days together at InterVarsity because some of those with whom I formerly used to pray and sit under the word together with seemed to be drifting away from the Lord Jesus Christ. Indeed, later, many years later, with the advent of Facebook, I began to, like a lot of people, catch up with people that I had lost track of. And it was a little discouraging to see their pages and to see nothing of Christ. In fact, sometimes the very opposite. I can remember one girl who used to come, my roommate and I, we had started a prayer meeting in our dorm room on Saturday mornings, and we'd invite people. You know, there was just a little dorm room, you know, smaller than this area platform up here, and we'd crowd in here and and pray together. And, you know, and I'm looking at pictures of her at the Burning Man Festival, and I, I'm thinking, you know, what's happened to these people? Well, the Jesus is telling us something about the, the kingdom uh, 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 of God and, and, and the dynamic that's going on. Now, later this morning, I'm going to share what I hope will be an eschatology of encouragement to you, whether you're all-mill or post-mill, don't care. But, but I'm going to try and encourage you to have um, a, a, a faith that God is going to do great things in history as well as in eternity. Um, but Jesus is telling us something else, too, that I think is very important for us, and, and that is to make sure that we find uh, that our own hearts are good soil for the receiving of the word. Now, this would have been a parable that would have been familiar uh, the, the, to a lot of the listeners. Now, yes, Jesus spoke in parables, not always as a means of illustration, but sometimes as judgment. You have to remember, uh, we were talking about Isaiah 2 the other night, and if you look further in Isaiah 2, you'll see that you know uh, Isaiah was supposed to preach them in parables, much like uh, what Jesus is doing here, and, and that it was a judgment so that seeing they would not see and hearing they wouldn't hear. But all that aside, um, the agricultural analogy 
would have been familiar to many. And so what I want to do is I want to take us through the, um, this parable together, and then I want to make some applications, both as we go, but also at the end. So what we have here is really, we have four types of soil. We have a hard soil, um, we have a, a rocky soil, we have a thorn-infested weed soil, and a good soil, Jesus says here. Now let's look at this together here. Uh, starting at verse 4. Look at verse 4. And he sowed some seeds, excuse me, as he sowed, some seeds fell beside the road, and the birds came up and ate them. And if you jump over to verse 19, Jesus says, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in the heart. This is the one on whom the seed was sown beside the road. So notice here that We have a sower. He is sowing seed. What does Jesus say in verse 19 this seed is? He says it's the word of the kingdom. It's the word of God. So this would have been a a parable here that people would have understood. And he's saying here, as the sower is going out, he's got his bag of seed, and he's taking handfuls, and he's scattering it as he goes. Inevitably, he'll come to the perimeter of his field. And as he throws the seed along the perimeter of the field, some of the seed goes beyond the field itself into the road. Now, those of you who live here in the south or in Georgia, you know that if you just go a couple hours further south to south Georgia this time of year, you can drive on the byways, and what do you see on the side of the road? It looks like snow. Well, it's not snow for those of you visiting. That's cotton in the... On the edges. Now, I know that deals with the harvest, but the idea is the same that after the harvest of the cotton, some of the cotton gets blown uh, to the edges of the field and to the, to the road. And if you, want, if you want a souvenir, you can pull your car over and get a heap of cotton and go on down to Florida on your way. And, uh, but here, we're in, not in the harvest process, but we're in the sowing. And he's saying some of the seed is falling really on the, on the road or the row. So maybe there's a row in between the fields. And the ground is compacted. It's, it's where the carts and the people and the oxen have all been trampling. It, it's, 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 it's called a path, Seth. You know, when you uh, hike, it's, it's a path. Where's Seth? <laughs> oh, there <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't resist that. <laughs> Seth got lost yesterday. <laughs> so it, the, some of the seed falls on the path, and there's, there's no way that's penetrating. Okay, the ground is just too hard, and it needs to be tilled up. And so <clears throat> Jesus says that this is part of the nature of the kingdom as it bumps up against the world. The word of God is being preached indiscriminately. And some of that word will fall on hearts that are hard. So this is representing seed, the word of God, which comes into contact with a mind that's not been illuminated by the spirit and a heart that's not been softened and a will that is not compliant to God. And Jesus says that the word of God, which is spiritual in nature. You know, Paul tells us that the word has to be spiritually appraised. And unless the spirit of God uh, works on a person, Paul elsewhere describes it as one having a veil over his face. He compares it to 
when Moses came down from Mount Sinai and the glory of the Lord was on Moses' face and Moses covered his face to hide the glory of the Lord from the people of God. And he said, it's still the same today. Every time the word is read in the synagogue, Paul says, it's as though a veil covers their face and they don't understand. But if, if God takes away by his grace the veil, then they believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and they, and they repent. John chapter 5, this was the problem that Jesus confronted with the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the lawyers. Um, he, they were men of the, of the scriptures, but yet the problem was they weren't believing in Christ. And therefore, Jesus is addressing this issue that the seed is falling on hardened, compacted ground in their life. Otherwise, they would believe in him. They claim, they say, well, we're the sons of Abraham. Abraham is our father. And Jesus says, if Abraham were really your father, you'd be believing in me. But as it is, you're persecuting me. And and so it is. This is why today we can have Bible scholars of various sorts, and they may have a very comprehensive view of details of the Hebrew. Um, They may know, in some ways, the Bible better than us in some of its intricacies. But they don't understand the main message of the Scriptures. Otherwise, they would be believing in Jesus Christ. Now, this fact should both thrill you and scare you. Because what it says is it demonstrates how much we are dependent upon the Spirit of God and how much we're dependent upon grace to allow the Word of God to work in our heart. But it's also thrilling, it's encouraging for you because you know that if God has given you that faith in Jesus Christ and the ability to hear the word of God and to understand it, then you've really come to know him. Uh, John tells us you know, that we have come to know him uh, if, if we love him and, and obey him. You know, I, I've, over 29 years, I've preached to a lot of different people. I've preached at a funeral where a congressman on the front row fell asleep. And I've preached to women who got married when they were 15 and 16 years old and never really went past seventh or eighth grade, and they love every word of what I'm saying. And they're so hungry for it. And what's the difference? The difference is, is that the word of God is spiritually appraised. And, and that those elderly widows who love the word of God, though they, they never even graduated from high school, um, the spirit of God has given them that hunger and in, in many ways, they're far outpacing those who have PhDs. Now, don't take that as some kind of anti-intellectual diatribe uh, on my part. I'm, I'm not in that camp. Um, I do believe Christians who have those gifts should pursue them and should pursue higher education. William Wilberforce, there's a story of William Wilberforce. Um, you know, he... Of course, if you've seen the movie Amazing Grace or you read the biography, I think uh, Eric McTaxis has put out a biography about him. He was the uh, great uh, member of parliament who helped end the slave trade. And one of his best friends is William Pitt. The movie helps bring this out. William Pitt, of course, would later go on to be prime minister, one of the youngest prime ministers England ever had. And, um, and William Wilberforce brought his friend William Pitt to church one time and um, as Wilberforce is listening to the sermon, his heart is just 
raptured by what he's hearing. And, and uh, afterward, he, he turns to his friend William Pitt and he said, you know, what'd you think of that? And, and much to Wilberforce's disappointment, William Pitt said, I, I didn't understand what the man was saying. Um, and so that which was so thrilling to Wilberforce by the grace of God, by the Spirit of God, was incomprehensible uh, to the unregenerate mind, even though William Pitt, you could say, was a genius politically. I mean, who, who gets elected in his 20s you know, um, to prime minister, late 20s, early 30s? <clears throat> so we, we cannot take credit, even if we have any faith in the Lord Jesus. Um, Ephesians chapter 2 says, you know, boast not in that, because even that is a gift from God. Uh, we boast only in the grace of God. So that's the compacted soil, the hard soil. And I want to look at the uh, rocky places. Look at verse 5 and then verse uh, 20. Verse 5, other fell, others fell on the rocky places where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up because they had no depth of soil. And then look at verse 20 and 21. The one on whom the seed was sown on the rocky places, this is the man who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no firm root in himself, but is only temporary. And when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he falls away. Now, I don't want you to think that, <clears throat> therefore, we should get some kind of eschatology from this parable that 25% are going to be this type of people and 25% are this type of people and only 25% are going to get saved in the end. You know, That's not what Jesus is saying here, but he's trying to illustrate for us the way that the kingdom can interact with different types of people. Now, this second soil seems to point to what I'm calling here the spurious convert to Christ. The spurious convert to Christ. This is a person who hears the word and does come to some apprehension of the truth and even, you could say, acquiesces to the truth in Jesus Christ for a season. But ultimately, that truth does not last in this person's life. This person does not have saving faith. Many of you, you know, know the elements of faith, right? You've got knowledge, assent, and trust, right? You guys know that, right? Notitia, assensus, and fiducia in Latin. So you've got to have all three. Well, here, here is somebody who uh, does not have the full package here. They, they, they receive it. Uh, they acquiesce. They assent to it with joy, Jesus says. But then it, it gives way. Now, <clears throat> what, why? Well, because the seed falls into ground and... Jesus says there's some soil there. And so the germination process begins. The, and the, the hearer of the word outwardly looks like others who are converted to Christ savingly. They've all begun the same process, at least from our appearance. There's a suddenness from converting from a seed to a fledgling plant, Jesus tells us. It has all the promise of all the other plants in the field. But here's the problem. The problem is, is that the soil is very superficial. That is, as the plant springs up, the roots also begin to go down. As the roots go down, they meet with an obstacle, namely a rock. 
Now, I don't know if this is true. Maybe some of you who are from New England could tell me, but my understanding was that a lot of those rock walls come from the fact that people once were plowing, and as they encountered a rock, dug it up and put it to the edge of the perimeter of their field. That's how you got all these walls uh, in, in New England. Well, here you have a field, but the rock hasn't been dug up, and as the roots go down, they cannot go down very deeply. And here is the problem, is that as um, the sun comes up and there is stress on the plant, duress, for a lack of maybe moisture and too much sun, the plant quickly withers away. You know, I had this problem I, my, when I bought my former house. Um, they put in the sod, the builder put in the sod, and it was Bermuda grass, and, but there was this one patch that died on me, and um, I didn't know why. I said, well, okay, you know, I'll try again. So I got a little more sod, just some pieces of sod. I replaced it, watered it, and tried to watch it and stuff, and it died too. So I gave up, forget it. And, um, you know, a couple of years later, I had a gutter clog. And the, the, because of the clog, the water spilled over the gutter and came down in a tremendous amount of force on that patch. I couldn't yet get stuff to grow. And what happened, then I realized, it washed what little dirt was really there. And apparently when they laid the foundation of my house, they took the extra cement and dumped it, you know, on that spot. There was cement underneath there. And then they superficially, you know, <laughs> took some shovels of dirt and, you know, there, that's good, you know, covered it over. Well, no wonder I couldn't grow, you know, grass there. That's what Jesus is saying here. Here's somebody that responds initially to the word of God. He maintains his presence in the church until what? Difficulties arise in his life. Stress rises, maybe because of persecution, maybe because of affliction, maybe because he's going to have to make some hard choices. Um, you know, missionaries used to call this on the field rice Christians, those who would profess faith in Jesus Christ if it meant more rice for their family. Um, Jesus said the same thing in his own day. He accused many who were following him. He said, you follow me because I fed you. He said, don't, don't seek the bread that perishes. Seek the bread of heaven. Now, in the West, we have people who will follow Jesus in a Christian culture if it will help their business contacts, it will make them acceptable to the community, as long as that community is still interested in some semblance of Christianity. Now, what's happening is in the West is that the, the culture at large is abandoning its commitments to Christianity, and now a lot of those incentives are no longer there, and so a lot of people are falling away and, and falling in line with corporate orthodoxy and what it says about same-sex marriage rather than taking a stand for Christ. But what does this have to do with, with us? We need to examine, I think, our own hearts to dig up the rocks that might be in our own fields. Um, and, and I want to say, how do you dig up a rock, you know, that might be in your heart? Let me give you just a few thoughts. Number one, recognize that suffering is normative for the Christian life. Remember what Peter says. He says, don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you. The, the, the normative in Christian history is that they who persecuted Jesus Christ will also persecute his followers. If they treat the master badly, how much more the servant? And so if Jesus, who was without sin, had to suffer and had to learn from the things he suffered, we're told in Hebrews, how much more we 
who have sin and need to learn even more than Jesus does. So be prepared for times of testing. You may have to choose between Christ and a friendship. You may have to choose between Christ and the disapproval of neighbors or even family. You may have to choose between Christ and following God's commandments. Then I'm going to go onto the seed of the thorny soil. I'm running out of time here. Some seed fell into soil that was neither hard as a road, nor was it laden with rocks, but it still was not sufficiently and properly cleared. There were uh, thorns infesting this ground. They were full of weeds. Now, if you've done any amount of gardening in your life, you know what a constant problem this is. To constantly be having to go after the weeds. What are the weeds doing? They're competing for the soil. They're competing for the nutrients. They're competing for sunlight. Uh, They're competing for water. And so here Jesus is saying the seed falls into this ground, it germinates, it grows, but there's no fructification. That is, there's no fruit. So in the same way, but a little bit more advanced than the seed that fell in the rocky soil, here's a plant that even shows more promise. And yet it, it doesn't come to full maturation. I was telling my congregation the other week, I... Um, I, I think with grief, you know, I, um, a brother in our presbytery who was a minister and fell away. And, and, you know, here's a man who preached the gospel Sunday after Sunday, and yet the gospel never somehow made it into his own heart. Uh, I laid hands on that brother at his ordination service. And so, you know, we have to, we need to be warned about this. And as I said to my congregation, What Sinclair Ferguson taught me when I was a student under Sinclair Ferguson is you can't say I'm just backsliding because you don't know. You know, here in the South, at least, you meet many people and you ask them, are you a Christian? You reach out to them and you evangelize and and they'll say, oh yeah, you know, know, I I know the Lord. I I made a, you know, I I walked an aisle or I made a profession. I prayed a prayer, but I'm backslidden. And then they'll say, but I'm backslidden. Well, you can't say that. You see, nobody in the South ever says, oh, but I'm I'm heading to apostasy. (laughs) You know, I prayed that prayer, but I'm heading to apostasy. No, no, everybody's everybody's just backslidden. And, you know, we don't know. Um, You know, I don't know who's Luke 15 and is the prodigal that's going to come home. And who is the one that has tasted of the powers of the age to come and has trampled the blood of Christ under his feet and will never repent? Um, And and so we we have to be careful in in the judgments that we make, but we can't say, oh, I'm just a prodigal. It may be worse than that. And what is the cause of all this? Well, it's worldliness, isn't it? It's essentially what our Puritan forefathers called worldliness. Worldliness. A man receives the word of God, but the word is smothered in his life. Cares, worries, pressures of the world, the love of the world. You know, and and a lot of these cares and worries and pressures may be legitimate. But if not kept in its proper place, it can have a, a detrimental effect on the word of God working in your life. The Bible says that the love of the world means that the love of the Father is not within us. You remember this happened to the Apostle Paul 
Some of the letters in your New Testament are co-signed at the bottom, or the greetings come with Paul by Demas. And yet, when Paul writes his last letter, what does he say? Demas is, having loved this present world, has left me. I mean, this is a guy who was sending greetings with the apostle to other churches in some of the earlier letters of Paul. Now he's no longer walking with Paul. Judas, who was, we know privately was a thief, stole from the collection, later betrays Jesus. You think of Gehazi, the servant of Elijah, who covets the money and the garments and, and lies about it to Elijah. And Elijah said, did not my heart go out with you, Gehazi? When you went out to the the general that I cured of leprosy. Think of Balaam. For a little bit of money, he was willing to curse Israel. And Balaam was eventually killed and judged by God through Israel. The love of money is the root of evil. The love of money. And even even in legitimate, this is not even apostasy. Here's a faithful Christian, Martha. Martha's a faithful Christian woman. But even Jesus has to admonish her, Martha, Martha, you're busy about so many things. You're worried about the hospitality. And here I'm, I'm, I'm giving you an opportunity to sit privately and learn from me. And here's Mary. And Mary's chosen the better thing. You think about the kingdom parable where Jesus says the kingdom of God is like a man who had a, a wedding feast for his son. And he gives out all these invitations. And, and then after he gives out the invitations, all these excuses come in why he can't come. Well, I got a field and I need to go examine it. And here, listen, singles, one of the excuses that came in was I just got married. So marriage is a good thing, should be honored, right? Uh, It's not good for man to be alone, but be careful. Your marriage doesn't become an impediment to serving Jesus Christ. So how do we prune uh, this vineyard? I'm going to have to close here. Uh, Matthew 6.33 would be my main application here. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Now how do I do this in a practical way? I, I love this verse. This was my mentor, my pastor, Pastor Larry Miniger, when I was in seminary. This was his life verse, if you will. Matthew 6.33, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these other things will be added unto you. And uh, I maybe, maybe have just, you know, by way of osmosis, it's become mine as well. Um, but how do we do this, especially as affluent Americans? I mean, you know, this is not a huge problem for some countries, okay? They, you know, they, they do not have all the blessings that we have, I mean, we, you know, we live in a country that is really, in many ways, for all our problems, has, is the result of 500 years of solid Protestantism. All the blessings we have come from 500 years of serious Christians and, uh, and their influence. Not, I'm not saying everybody in America was a Christian, but uh, a lot of our blessings uh, are multi-generational, and we're living off of that capital. And what I'm concerned about is if we don't go back to what produced that capital, we're going we're gonna to lose everything. Um, so how do I seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness? Let me give you just a few things to think about in your own walk. Number one, I would encourage you to set up times 
each day for spiritual disciplines in, in your life and in your home. You know, Boyd Miller is single, but Boyd Miller has family worship. I, I come into my family room, I get it, my alarm goes off, you know, I go, you know, get my coffee, etc., and I plop myself down on, on the couch in the living room, and I open my Psalter hymnal, and I open my Bible, and I've got on my phone the app that helps me because I'm not the best sight reader in the world with music. And so we sing. We. The royal, royal we there, Seth. <laughs> we sing and read scripture and pray and open our shorter catechism and go over catechism. And, you know, just as if I had a wife and kids. And so I encourage you to, you know, develop that habit. Make it part of your morning routine and at the end of the day. Um, it's actually a little harder for me at the end of my day than it is in the beginning of my day to, to do that. Uh, I encourage you to psalm singing, hymn singing. Um, as I just mentioned, there are apps. Um, you know, it, there, there's an app for the Trinity Psalter Hymnal. Those of you who are RP, I, you should know you've got the uh, app for the book, the Psalms, Psalm book for worship. Um, the blue one, I don't know if they have one for the maroon. You guys probably know. No, shaking hand, no. Okay. At least for the blue, blue Psalter, you know, that's available. Um, and you might, you know, use that. Uh, Bible reading, of course, I, I can not express to you the, it's, it is challenging. It can be hard. I do fall behind, but the McShane Bible calendar um, has been, I've used it every year since, I don't know, probably 30 some years. I don't remember. And, uh, you know, here's where I'll, I'll say it, it makes a difference. It, it, it's not like, um, well, I did it, I did McShane this year, and, you know, I've really seen a huge improvement in my life. I think it's something, it's almost like investing, you know, just year in, year out, uh, daily cost averaging, you know. You just uh, put in some each month, and just over time it accumulates, and you get that interest uh, over time. And I think that's the way it is with the McShane. I think... There, there are times to go broad in the Bible and times to pause and go deep in the Bible. I think there are times to, and what McShane does is it helps you read broadly. And if you're not familiar with the McShane Bible calendar, it's, you know, you read the New Testament twice in a year and the Old Testament once in a year with the exception of the Psalms you read twice. I think it is good to stop on a single verse, though, sometimes and just sit there for 10 minutes and think about that verse, too, but... That will help you, I think, to seek first the kingdom. Hearing of sermons, there is a plethora of sermons. This can be intimidating for this in the ministry when I know that you're listening to Sinclair Ferguson and R.C. Sproul and John MacArthur and, you know, Joel Beakey, and, and then you have to come and listen to Boyd Miller. Uh, but, but that's a blessing, you know? Um, and, and so it can be intimidating for some ministers, but it's a blessing. I'm not intimidated. No. <laughs> I could take them. No, I'm just kidding. And then uh, prayer, uh, praying for your family, praying for the church, the state, the nation, missionaries, the sick, the widows, the elderly, uh, for yourself. Um, you know, make this the priority. I remember um, Dr. Ferguson, when we were in seminary and we were going through the Westminster Confession of Faith, and we got to the chapter in the Westminster Confession on of oaths and vows. Of Oaths and Vows is the title. And I remember Dr. Ferguson saying to us, you know, and this is, of course, this is the 90s, you know, everybody had a day timer, you know. 
And uh, he said, you know, what we need are vow timers more than day timers. And uh, you might even consider taking a vow. Um, don't bind yourself too tightly, but some kind of commitment to, to in some way help goad you to seeking first the kingdom of God and, and his righteousness. It might be, I'm going to read my Bible in a year. Uh, it might be, you know, I'm going to, unless providentially hindered, I'm going to have a time of family worship uh, on a regular basis. Or I am going to read, you know, six Christian books this year. Whatever it may be that you feel like you need to do to, to you know, help seek and discipline yourself. You know, all things are lawful, but not everything is profitable. And we do need to, we, we have a blessing of a tyranny of choices in the West. And, and the problem with that is we don't always and regularly make the best choices. And so what a vow does is it, it really does kind of bind you to say, okay, you know, I've made this promise to God and I better do it, you know. Um, and I, I don't, I don't want to, you know, it's better not to take a vow than to make it and not fulfill it. So you better do it if you say you're going to do it. And you promise the Lord you're going to do it, you better, better do it. But that, I just offer that as something that, from Dr. Ferguson that has been helpful in my life as well. We've got to go. Uh, We've got to take an eight-minute break here.